I'm talking uh, today, we're, we're still carrying on in our um, series on worship, and um, we're going to kind of speak today about who we worship and why we worship. So we're kind of hitting two topics, but they're, they're really kind of combined. So um, <clears throat> I also recognize that um, and wanted to maybe bring a little bit of a, a kind of challenge to get us to think a bit more, um, rather that we, we, we get so used to the way we do things that they just kind of almost start happening naturally without um, really giving it much thought or even much heart. So I want to challenge some of our, our thinking around worship, around God, and that so that we, not so that we necessarily change, but we're, so that we're more aware of who we worship and why we worship. So to start off, I'm going to ask you guys who we worship. And just feel free to put it on out there. Come on. Yes, okay. Bless you. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> Come on, guys. We've only got two-thirds of the Trinity up there, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Well, I'll just put it up there just so... <laughs> Any other words that come to mind? Our iPhone? We worship our iPhone? <laughs> okay. I'll put that up there. <laughs> oh, look at that. Well done, Bob. No, I know. <laughs> well, especially if, we, especially if we define worship as what it is, which is um, the Bible defines worship as bowing down, venerating. Um, I don't... I don't bow down to my phone, but I do spend a heck of a lot of time on it. That's, that, well, it's good. I'll, I mean, it's up there. I'll leave it up there for, <laughs> true, true, absolutely. And, and we, in truth, probably worship a lot of things that we shouldn't, but, okay. We'll just put a cross through that, because just, just to let you know that we shouldn't. Just so that that's really, really clear, okay? <laughs> okay, God. What do you mean by God? God is, one, God is not a name. God is a Germanic word meaning one we invoke. So we could invoke anything. We could invoke our iPhones. Creator God, okay, so now we're getting bigger. Creator, Father, okay. Let's look at let's look at the Trinity for a second, because these names, these things up here, have very strong cultural and religious significance, and I think we let our culture and our our religion limit us in how we see God and worship. So, for example, Jesus said, "God." is spirit, so, and we should worship him in spirit and truth. So now we suddenly got this weird mix because we say that the Holy Spirit is different than God. 
But is the Holy Spirit different from God? Isn't God himself holy? And isn't he a spirit? So, okay, so something's happening there that's maybe messing a little bit with our paradigms of division in the Trinity. And we know that they're one, but maybe the divisions are a little bit less solid, as it were. Luther had this nice little diagram that said, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. And this little triangle thing. Um, and I think part of the point of what I'm getting at is that over millennium, theologians have tried to compartmentalize God so much and tell us who God is. And then our culture takes that on and our specific denomination takes that on. And we begin to see God in a very specific but a very, very limited way. So let me ask another question since we've got it up there and I want to challenge this. What name by which, what, na- what is the name by which we can be saved? Jesus. Yeah, okay. Good. Jesus. Do you guys know that in first century Palestine, there was never a person named Jesus? There was a, there was a man born in a stable named Yehoshua, but this name Jesus is something the Greeks came up with later on. So if the name is that important, why do we shift it? And why do we change it with Latin, change it with Greek, change it with English? I'm not saying we need to go back to calling him Yehoshua. I'm just trying to get us to wake up to the fact that our culture and our religion defines God in a way that is very limited. And then it becomes rooted and ingrained in the way we do things so that then our worship becomes very limited in its understanding and breadth. Believe me, I have no problem with worshiping Jesus. (laughs) And I love Jesus. And I call him Jesus. I'm just trying to get us to to think beyond these things, these cultural bounds and norms that we've created that have created a way we see God that has very definitive bounds and limits because God is God. God is Jesus. God is Holy Spirit. God is Father. What if I said she's also mother? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? You guys are great. Because so many people feel really uncomfortable when you start using a feminine pronoun for God. Because, again, in a lot of our culture, that is very unthinkable. You would only ever use him, and you'd only ever use father, because that's typically what's in the Bible. Even though there is a verse that talks about God nurturing us as children at his breast. El Shaddai means many-breasted one. You know, the, the Holy Spirit in both Greek and Hebrew is a feminine noun. Um, so there are things that, are, that lead us that way. But, but we, again, we allow doctrine and we allow theology to kind of really put us in this box of the way we see God. There was a, a medieval mystic who said that God is a sphere whose circumference is everywhere and whose center is nowhere. And I really love that as a definition because it doesn't allow us to place bounds on it. If you see this sphere, which actually you can't see, 
because the circumference is everywhere, so there's no definitive outside, and whose center is nowhere, because when you have a sphere that's circumference is everywhere, there's no place to put the center. God is that mysterious, that big. When I uh, did my talk on creation, I had this picture of um, just a small portion of the Hubble telescope that just showed thousands upon thousands of, not stars, but galaxies in this little picture. And that was a, I think it was a centimeter by centimeter frame out of the Hubble's overall picture. And that tells us how big the material universe is. And God is so far beyond that. Do we believe that God is infinite? So if God is infinite, then he's everywhere. And he's also in everything. He saturates everything that we see and touch and feel, everything we come into contact with. Every tree is saturated with God. Every stone is saturated with God. Strangely, although we would never kind of sit and contemplate it, or maybe we should, these chairs are saturated with God. I'm saturated with God. You're saturated with God. So when I have a conversation with you, I should be aware that I'm having a conversation with something that is saturated with God. God is so far beyond our ability to conceive that many mystics and, and the Eastern Orthodox Church have, have said that really the only way to define God is, is using negatives. We can't define what he is. We can only kind of define what he's not. And I would even go as far to say is that's putting limitations on God because as soon as you say God is not something, then therefore he's not infinite because there's a section of something that he is not. And you've therefore barred him from being something that we allow him to be. Or we say that he, you, God, you can't be this. It affects how we see the events in life around us. And this, I'm getting back to where we enter into this place of worship because we get into a place where we've put God in so much of a box that as a loving father, if suddenly something happens in our life that we wouldn't perceive as coming from a loving father, we draw back from God or we question him and we wonder why are you doing this to me or why is this happening? But that's because we're seeing God with a very limited set of lenses. And we're seeing God, uh, if, if I would, if we're, we're seeing God in a way that really is just about us, actually. Because if I'm basing my image and my view of who God is and his nature mostly around how he relates to me, then it's actually more about me than it is about God. I've been in and through so many different denominations and so many different theological kind of ideas in my time as a Christian, studying whether I was part of that denomination or rubbing shoulders with people who are there and having conversations with, with them, that I've seen just about everything you can think of with God. And I've reacted strongly to some of those things because some of those things sound so harsh. You know, the sovereignty of God that comes through some of Calvinism that sounds so harsh. And I think that there is misconceptions there, you know, especially things like God sovereignly declares before someone's born that they're already going to go to hell. I think that's heresy, but that's me. Um, but the sovereignty of God that would that 
that would say that, that nothing can happen in this world apart from God allowing it, we, we, we're seeing a lot more pushback against that even, even these days in Christian culture. We see, we see parts of Christian culture that say, you know, God, you know, sickness is illegal in the kingdom of, of heaven. And yet in the Old Testament, we see God giving someone um, leprosy. No, in, in the Old Testament, he gave, um, uh, I can't remember the general's name. He actually afflicted him, yeah, with leprosy. But it was for his good, as we sang in the song, even the things that are meant for evil, well, we, we say that the enemy meant it for evil, God turns it for good. But in the Old Testament, we see God allowing, allowing and actually giving things that we would see as very, very harsh, And that kind of slaps up against our view of a loving God. Let me state this right now. God is love. You can't get more loving than being love itself. <laughs> so I have no problem with that. So what's going on here when God does things that we might see as harsh or causing suffering well, part of the problem is, again, we're just viewing things from our own very, very limited perspective. Because, as is repeated throughout Scripture, this life is as a breath. It is as the blink of an eye. And there's so much more beyond that. So when we compare whatever sufferings may happen to us in this life with, the, with eternity, it's really nothing. And maybe God is bringing people through something that will put them in a better place as they enter into eternity. Or maybe put another way, maybe he's doing something that is, is building his kingdom for more people. So maybe if God afflicts me with suffering and that would cause 10 people to, to cry out to God and get to know him, maybe that's worth it. Because the suffering that he would afflict on me is only momentary. You know, it's like, you go to the gym, right? And, and you leave the next day and you're sore, but none of us go, gosh, why am I suffering so much? We do that to ourselves because we know that there's a reason to do that to ourselves. We break our muscles down so they build up and yet, if God does something like that, then we start thinking that he's bad. So I'm trying to expand our, our understanding of God beyond our limited sense of his connection to me. And I'm going to end that right here because I think I want us to see that, but I also want us to not forget that he is deeply and intimately connected to you individually. So it's one of the problems with Western thinking is that we're dualistic, so it's, it's either or, but the East is very much, a lot better at, at thinking non-dualistically. They're, they're really good with both ends. God is both out there, massive and unknowable in his infinity. We can't know infinity. It's impossible. 
is totally unknowable and yet totally intimate. So that's who we worship. We worship something that is so far beyond the little fences we put around them through our, our religious doctrines and through our own ways of thinking things and our culture as well. Language, all those things. So if that's the case, then why do we worship God? I think in our, in this kind of more recent movement of worship music and, and stuff, a lot of times it's focused again on that, on that intimacy or on Thanksgiving, on things like that, where we're, we're crying out in thanks, we're crying out or, or we're singing songs of intimacy and, and love towards him. And those are wonderful, they're great. But going back to the real meaning of the word worship in scripture, to bow down, to venerate, When God does something wonderful for us, it's right to give thanks. When we feel that affection for God, it's right to adore him. But those are kind of different than what the Bible talks about in worship. And so I wanna bring us back to that place of recognizing that there's a difference between thanksgiving and, and worship. There's a difference between adoration and worship in that sense in the sense of an affection because those things are, are bestowed on someone because of something they did or something we feel. Whereas worship should be bestowed on God simply because he's God. There is zero other reason. And the reason that we've pulled back sometimes from worship when the bad things are happening to us or, or circumstances in our lives are not working out the way we want them to work is because we're still worshiping him based on his action toward us or the way he relates to us. But he is worthy of worship whether our lives are going well or not. He is worthy of worship whether COVID is outbreaking, whether I can find a parking place. <laughs> Hello? Right? or I get a flat tire. He is worthy of worship when someone dear to us is lying in a hospital bed having had a massive heart attack and stroke. He is worthy of worship. Without question, without wondering why. We can ask the question of him because he's a good father and he entertains our concerns and our fears and our doubts. But it's never a reason to back, back away from worship. We worship God because he's God. And that is the only reason we worship God. And if we forget that, then we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping what he does for us. We're worshiping ourselves, the feeling that it brings to us or the, um, the blessing that we had, the parking place we got. <laughs> we're not worshiping God because we're worshiping something that's blessed us. It's, it's us, it goes back to us. And I wanna remind us of that because I think our culture has gotten so much to a place where that's the thing. We worship God when we feel good and we wonder why when we don't feel good. 
We worship a God who's within the parameters of our religious thinking and our cultural thinking, but we're afraid to worship him in ways that might seem a little outside the box. We're, we might be afraid to call her a she as we worship him. We might be afraid to worship at an oak tree or a stone or in a, an alley in, in Bristol with crazy graffiti painted all over it. Because we might forget that God saturates that place as well as he saturates Lee Wood. God is God. God is, God is everything. And there is nothing that is not God because God is infinite. He saturates every single thing. And God, because God is God, is worthy of worship, whether he created or didn't create, whether he does something or doesn't do something, whether he blesses us or curses us. He is still God and he is still worthy of worship because he's God. Amen? Okay. Let me... Okay. No. Go, go with that. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting theological topic that could take... 2,000 years to unpack. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, and there are, there are, there's different sides of theological thought even on that. Um, and it's too hard to answer in, in a minute and a half. But I would love to actually talk about that because I think you're right. But I think we also um, might need to unpack what that even means. Because what if... Oh, she said, except for sin. Yeah. I mean, we would have to define what sin is because I think there's a broad definition of that as well. And we would also define, have to define what... Okay, here, here's a good example. A great example. Was God in the sin of the Romans nailing Jesus to the cross? Ah, okay. But it was a sin. It was a sin of murder. Just think on that. I'm not going to answer the question because I think that's... <laughs> I don't want to put up more barriers. I want thought. So that was a really good question. God is worthy of worship because he's God, no matter what happens, even if you're being nailed to a cross.